0: Uh, Well, happy Labor Day weekend to you all. Glad you are here today. It's really good to see you. Fun fact, uh, Brandon and I first visited Heartland, I think in maybe 2012. Uh, I got a rare couple days off of my job up at Hope College, and so we came down and Brandon preached that Sunday as a a guest preacher, so that was our first taste of Heartland, and um, we have come to savor the community even more, and we are so grateful to be able to be here every week, ever. Um, well, <laughs> yay! Yeah, we um, we are just so grateful for all of you, and hope and pray that you know that. So, so, so grateful to be doing life with you. So, uh, before we begin, let let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift that it is to be a body of Christ together to call one another sisters and brothers, to be able to come together to worship you, to be able to encourage each other and uphold one another day in and day out. We thank you for your scripture to us that guides us in the way of life and peace and joy. We pray that you would give us your spirit's illumination that we might live into that way of Christ today, and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we have reached our last week in our series on the book of Philippians. It has been a really rich book of scripture, has it not? Have you been as blessed by it as I have? Anyone here appreciate the book of Philippians? Yes, yes, good. It has been a really, really rich book, and pray that we continue to chew on it and savor it in weeks to come. Well, today in these last final verses, we return to a question that has permeated throughout the entire letter, and that question is, how do we live in joy? Is there anyone here who desires more joy in their life? Anyone? A couple people do. <laughs> the rest of us are cranks, and we'd just rather not live with joy. Just kidding. We all desire more joy deep within us. And when I say joy, I don't mean a fleeting happiness that comes and goes depending upon what happens in that day or week, but real lasting joy. Joy that is deep within our souls that stays there no matter what our circumstances, no matter what we face, good or bad, that is joy. Who desires joy? Yes? Well, this is the good news. Deep abiding, lasting joy is possible no matter what circumstances we face. Deep abiding joy is possible because... Joy is a choice. As Pastor Brandon preached last week, God has given us power over our minds. God has given us the power to choose. We get to choose what we focus on. We get to choose which practices we engage in. And these choices are either going to increase or decrease the level of joy in our lives. The Apostle Paul, as we have read, he chose joy. Even in the midst of the most trying situations, physically, emotionally, spiritually demanding, Paul chose joy. And we can choose joy too. And in the letter to the Philippians, God through Paul teaches us just how to do that. And today in the last verses, Paul leaves us with one of the most important lessons of all for living in joy. One of the most important lessons. That lesson is learning contentment. Learning contentment. Contentment is absolutely essential for living in joy. The two go hand in hand. If we want more joy, we must learn more contentment. That is what the Apostle Paul did, and that is what he encourages us to do as well. So let's read his words about it now from Philippians 4, verses 10 to 23. Listen for the contentment. Hear God's word. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God. Okay, so remember, we are over reading someone else's mail. So, this is a, a particular note that Paul is writing to a particular group of people. So this is what's going on in this particular passage, what, what Paul, the context of what Paul is saying. This is a, a thank you note. Anyone here written any thank you notes lately? Perhaps those who've gotten married or graduated or you write those thank you notes after thank you notes after thank you notes. They are, they're really good for our soul, right? They increase our gratitude and joy once your hand un, unaches from the, all the writing Well, this is a good old handwritten thank you note. Paul has received a generous gift. It's a gift from the church in Philippi. And now here at the end of the letter, he's finally saying his thanks. Thank you for the gift. But now you have to understand that this gift that Paul has received, it's not like getting a bouquet of flowers It's not like getting new decor for his living room. This gift was sustenance for Paul's life. Because remember his context. Paul is in prison. He's chained 24-7 to a Roman prison guard, and his accommodations are pretty rough. So in ancient Rome, there weren't humanitarian laws like we have in most parts of our country today about how you're supposed to treat prisoners. So The truth is, Paul perhaps could have been fed, maybe every two to three days, but perhaps that could have just been moldy bread. He perhaps could have been given clothing, but that wasn't a necessity. And remember, before this, Paul had experienced being stripped and beaten, like Jesus had. So the chances are his clothing had been tattered, maybe non-existent. So if Paul wants to stay warm, if he wants to keep the bugs and the flies from feasting on his wounds, if Paul wants any of this, he has to rely on friends. He has to rely on the generosity of others to find him, to bring him clothing, maybe a blanket, maybe a pillow if he was so lucky And that is what this one church did. We don't know that much about the Philippian church. Some people say that the Philippians were near the poverty level. We don't really know, but it could have been that they gave even out of their poverty. They chased down the Apostle Paul and took care of him in his need. And this gift that they gave him, it was sustenance for Paul's life. Food, clothing, other necessities that most of us never even think about. This is the gift that Paul is writing to say thank you for. So this, this thank you note, when you think of a, a thank you note, think less of thanks for the coffee pot. It works great. <laughs> it's more like thank you for the kidney. Now I have a chance of staying alive. How do you write a thank you note for a gift like that? If I would have been in Paul's situation, his dire situation, received a gift, a life-sustaining gift like Paul, I think my thank you note would have sounded something like, thank you for the gift. I have no idea what I would have done without it. You see, I was in a really bad spot. But now that I have this, I'm doing okay. I maybe would have written something like that. Did you notice that Paul's thinking note is a little bit different? In verses 11 to 14, he writes this. Not that I'm referring to being in need. This is Paul, who has probably little clothing, food, necessities. Not that I'm referring to being in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. In other words... Uh, Paul is saying, thanks for the gift. But really, I need you to know that I was okay without it. I was content then. I'm content now. I was fine. But in any case, thank you for sharing. Now, at first glance, it, I don't know about you, but it might come off as a little bit rude, Thanks for the gift. I didn't really need it, but thanks still. Thanks. But what's going on here? Paul isn't being rude. What's going on is that Paul is trying to teach the Philippians about contentment, about deep, abiding contentment that he has learned throughout his life, this deep, abiding contentment that he wants the Philippians to know. It's contentment that transcends whatever life situation Paul is facing whether he has much or little, Paul has learned deep, abiding contentment in God. That's all he really needs. It is this contentment in God that leads to Paul's overflowing joy. Paul says all of this to the Philippians because he wants them to know the same level of joy and contentment that he has. He doesn't want them to think that they have to have these outward things like food or clothing or anything else to ultimately satisfy them. He wants them to know what he knows, the true source of joy and satisfaction. And that is contentment in God alone. Now, it might be easy to to say that, but Paul isn't just saying these words. He has lived them far more than you and I ever have. He is speaking from profound experience. So if you know much about Paul, you know that he has lived on complete opposite extremes of the financial and social spectrum. At one point in his life, he was on the absolute top. He was living in this big, beautiful, elaborate home with the nicest clothes, the finest foods that the ancient world could offer. It was all his. He was in charge of all sorts of people. What Paul said went. There was fear and trembling before Paul. He was on top. At the time of this letter... Paul's situation is a little bit different. He's been living alone in a prison cell on death row for nearly four years. He's at the absolute mercy of the cruel Roman government that could behead him any day. As we said, his accommodations were not enviable. And yet Paul says, these outward things don't matter. I've seen both ends of the spectrum, and they don't matter I have learned to be content in all situations. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Circumstances don't matter. In any and all circumstances, we can choose contentment. We can choose contentment in God. And that will bring us Joy. But this choice, Paul explains, this choice, it doesn't happen by our own strength. We can't just will it up on our own. It's pretty difficult to do. So Paul goes on to write that oh-so-famous Bible verse. Perhaps you've heard it. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ Christ. Who strengthens me? Anyone ever heard it before? A couple people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Especially with uh, football season gearing up, I've been reminded in our households that that's happening now. You might catch this uh, when you're watching sports events, it's become really popular with athletes lately. So, when you're watching your football games, you might, on occasion, hear a quarterback quote Philippians 4:13. I was told there's some guy who says this. No, okay. Well, anyway, it's. <laughs> I don't know much about particulars about. Uh, I just watch it in the background. But you might hear you might hear a quarterback quote Philippians 4:13 after he wins a game. You might see it emblazoned on the back of a running a running back's helmet. You might see it on an athlete's wristband, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not all bad. It's it's not bad. It's, It's good to remember that Christ is the source of our strength. That is good to give glory to God. Glory to God who gives us the ability to run, the ability to work hard, the ability to achieve anything at all that is all done by God who gives us strength let's remember the context of Philippians 4.13. Paul isn't talking about winning a football game or running a fast race for our own glory and benefit so we receive a trophy. Paul is talking about contentment. Paul is in a prison cell on death row alone with barely enough to survive and there he finds contentment that's the context of Philippians 4:13 finding contentment whatever our circumstances in plenty or in want finding contentment in God alone no matter what's happening and friends i would argue that that is the truly superhuman feat Not running fast or throwing a ball hard, those are great things, but the truly superhuman feat, the thing that is above all else, is to be able to find true contentment in God whatever we're facing, whether you win that game or not. Perhaps a better use of Philippians 4.13 would would be when you get your butt kicked in the game and then you're like, Philippians 4.13, I'm content, it's okay, finding contentment in God, whatever our circumstances, that is something that we must rely on the strength of Christ for. That is the superhuman feat that Christ allows us to achieve. So again, we ask, how do we do that? How do we rely on Christ's strength to find contentment in God, whatever we face? Does it just happen overnight? No. Like most all things in life, contentment is learned. Paul writes in verse eleven, "I have learned to be content." I heard another preacher once talk about this as enrolling in the school of contentment. Who likes school? Anyone likes school? Few people. We got a few school people. Well, I have good news. If you like school, this is good news. You never get out of contentment school ever you're always enrolled. For those of you who don't like school, well, you're going to be in school your whole life. (laughs) This school of contentment, it doesn't end at 18, 22, 26. It's a school you re-enroll in and re-enroll in and re-enroll in again and again and again and again every season of life. So say you're 16 or 17 and you've just gotten your license Seems like everyone around you is getting a brand new car, right? Because two people got a brand new car, and it seems like everyone has one. But you, you get lucky enough to get a car, but it's it's your sibling's hand-me-down. And it runs most of the time, except for when it doesn't. And when the brakes go out randomly when you're driving down that runway. might be speaking from experience. I don't know. Well, here is your chance to learn contentment. Either you can focus on what you don't have, that that car that that one person has, or you can focus on what you do have, a car, which has far, far more than the majority of the people in the world will ever be able to say, ever. Where are you focusing? Say a few years later, you get into college. Everyone around you is scraping by on ramen noodles and dollar store flip-flops. You've been there, done that. There you start to be content with very little, because people have very little. Suddenly, the car thing doesn't matter. You realize that was silly. and You do pretty well with contentment. Perhaps you think you've graduated from the school of contentment. I'm doing really well. Look at my dollar store flip-flops. But then, then you land your first job and you start comparing yourself to all your older colleagues that have those fancy suits and drink Starbucks three times a day and you have to re-enroll in the school. Contentment. Or you graduate and you buy your first home, you're so grateful to God and content to just have your own space. You're so content. And then your new neighbors move in. And they completely remodel their house and update their home and invite you over to see all their cool things. And suddenly you're not so satisfied with your house anymore. And you have to re-enroll in the school of contentment. Say you're a married couple that really wants to have children. Every year passes by. That's all you can focus on is wanting children, so jealous of all the other couples. And then it happens. And you have one, two, three, four kids, and then all of a sudden you find yourself shifting your focus to all the young, childless couples who look so rested and showered. So much freedom. And you're feeling a little bit like Paul, stuck on house arrest with demanding little prison guards (laughs) called children. You have to re-enroll in the school contentment. One day, those beloved children that you so wanted, they move out of the house, and they move out sometime between the age of 18 and 45. They tend to move out. No, you thought you'd love that day. Suddenly, things are so quiet and, and empty. You have to re-enroll in the school of contentment. Then you spend years gearing up for retirement. You can't wait to join your friends in Florida. And then it happens, and you find yourself at home feeling lost and insignificant and purposeless, and you have to re-enroll in the school of contentment. And then your age creeps up, and your body systems start failing, and your friends start dying. And once again, you have to re-enroll in the school of contentment. Sisters and brothers, in every season of life, you're going to face areas of plenty and areas of Want. In every single season, in all things we face, you'll have areas of plenty and areas of want. And yet, in all of that, we can find contentment. We can find contentment in God alone who strengthens us. Over the years, Pastor Brandon and I have observed from walking with people from all stages of life that there tend to be about three areas that weigh heavy on people— Three areas that, that people tend to complain about. Money, time, and health. See if you relate with any of this. It seems to be that in the scheme of life, you rarely get all three at the same time. When you're young, you have lots of energy and time, but you have no money, so you feel a little trapped. You can't really do a lot on your own. When you get in the middle middle years, you have some some decent health, some Decent financial stability, hopefully you have a job by then, but there's no time, right? Just working and raising family, there's no time. When you get older, you have decent money stored up and and time, but failing health, it never seems to have all three at the same time. But the key is, in any and all circumstances, to be content with whatever you have, Whether in plenty or in want, whether you're facing a season of great highs or lows, in all things, we can find joy and contentment in Christ who strengthens us. So again, we bring it back and ask, how? How do we do that? How do we learn contentment? And it brings us back to the very beginning of the series. We close in the way that we started the series. We close by looking at this definition of joy. If you remember from the beginning, we said joy, listen closely, joy is a focus on the generosity of God, which expresses itself through gratitude and praise, even in seasons of pain and disappointment. Joy is a focus. A focus on the generosity of God, which expresses itself through gratitude and praise, even in seasons of pain and disappointment. Joy is a choice. Joy comes from choosing where you focus. Choosing to focus on the generosity of God. Contentment is the same. Joy and contentment, as I said at the beginning, they are inseparable. If you want joy, if you want contentment, choose to focus on the generosity of God. This is the choice Paul made. This is why he was able to remain content and overflowing with joy no matter what his situation. For Paul chose to focus on God. This is the key here. Paul focused on God. Paul focused on the truth that God was with him. That God was for him. That God loved him more than he would ever know. He focused on the truth that nothing, nothing would ever separate him from the love of God, not even death itself. And my friends, that was enough. That was enough for Paul. And that's enough for us too. God's presence, God's love, God's grace and mercy is more than enough. For you, for me, for all the world. That God so loves. It is more than enough. Let us pray. God, in you, we rejoice. We rejoice because in Christ Jesus, our every need is fully satisfied. In Christ Jesus, we have more than enough. In Christ Jesus, we find all we've ever longed for, all we've ever needed in the first place. In Christ Jesus, we find contentment and joy and peace and life everlasting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.